We continue this series called Life Apps. It's a series that we've been in over the past few weeks. And, and through this series, we've been talking about different aspects of our lives. Uh, we've been talking about relationships. We've been talking about time. We've been talking about money. Last week, we talked about parenting. And so we're saying, what does it look like for us to not look at some app off of our phone to say this is what the answer is to what we need in life, but what does it look like to find life application out of Scripture? And so every week we've been hitting these different subjects. Now this week, as you can tell, we're going to talk about dating. And everybody in here is married is like, why did I show up today? I could have stayed at home. I could have prepared for the Super Bowl party. Well, a couple of things. First, we really don't talk about dating at all in the church. I mean, how many times have you been to church and like, hey, we're going to talk about dating today. You're like, wow, this is pretty incredible. We don't really talk about dating a whole lot, so we want to we wanna spend one week talking about dating. And if you're married, don't worry. In a couple of weeks, we're doing a full marriage series. That's going to be four weeks. So we're going to hit marriage for you. And plus, I want to talk about dating because I have two teenage girls. Well, actually, one's 15 today and one's 12 and will be 13 later on this year. And um, they're not going to date till they're 30, so I want them to get started now with thinking about what dating looks like for them as they get older in our house. Now, let me say this too. If you're married today and you're thinking, I'm going to check out, this message is actually for you as much as it is for anybody who's in the dating world, okay? There's going to be something you're going to take with you today that I think can impact your marriage also. But what is dating? Dating is looking for the right person. That's what dating's all about. And in fact, for most of us, and you know, those of us that are married, we probably remember this, we had a checklist. And you said, these are the things that are turn-ons for me, and these are the things that are turn-offs. And as you went through this checklist with the person that you're dating, you would say, hey, you know, there's more good things than bad things, and so maybe this person is worth dating. And so in our minds, it's pretty easy. But I don't know that that checklist is always what we think it should be. In fact, a couple years ago, I was doing a, a message on dating, and I asked some people that were in the dating world, I said, hey, talk to me a second about some things you're looking for in the right person. Here, here's what they said. They would like to date somebody. These were all people that were single. I want to date somebody who listens, someone who's thoughtful, someone who's honest, someone who's humorous, someone's a Christian. They had to say that because they were talking to a pastor, right? <laughs> someone that's good-looking. Thankfully, they said that. I mean, it's important that you have this attraction. And those are all good things when it comes to dating. And most of us would say, you know what, on my checklist, yep, that's what I have. Or when I was dating, those are the things I had on my checklist. Then I asked them this question, what are some of your big turn-offs? They said someone who was angry, someone who was arrogant, someone who was selfish, someone who was rude. And this last one, their number one reason or their number one turn-off, I have to explain just a little bit, we lived in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, which is the home of the University of North Carolina Tar Heels. There's a school that's about eight miles away called Duke University. Do you know these two teams don't like each other at all if you're familiar with basketball? In fact, they hate each other pretty, pretty uh, heavily. This group I was talking to was a bunch of Carolina fans and a bunch of Carolina students. You know what they said their number one turnoff was? Duke fans. They said, I don't want to date a Duke fan. Now, I don't know that that's necessarily true, but... But when you think about turn-ons and turn-offs when it comes to dating, you know, we all have these lists. And, and we think in our minds, if we, if we fill these lists out, then dating is going to be easy. If this individual that I'm looking to date fits this criteria, then dating is going to be easy. But if you remember what dating was all about, and if you're in the midst of dating right now, dating is actually pretty complicated. There's a lot of questions that we have to answer. I mean, think about some of those questions that we answer when it comes to dating. Do I actually like this person? I mean, do I want to go out with them a second time? Is this a person that I would spend more time with? 
Is this a person I would spend more money on? Does this have the potential to be a long-term relationship? Uh, is this person marriage material for me? And maybe the biggest question you have to answer, will my mom actually like this individual? I mean, that's a big question that many of us have to have answered. And so in the dating relationships, we're going through all these questions. We're trying to answer them all. We find out that dating is not really that easy. Dating is actually pretty complicated. Part of the reason it's complicated is that in dating, we're searching for something. And for many of us, we're searching for something called chemistry. Our culture tells us that chemistry is the most important factor when it comes to finding the right person. And if we find the right chemistry, then we're going to be happy. Um, back in the fall, I was speaking up here, and I made reference to a movie called The Notebook. And I told you my feelings about it. I won't go there again. But, um, but I described what my feelings were about this, this book or this movie called The Notebook. And when I left that day, or when you were leaving, some of you came around like, hey, man, I agree with you. I agree. You know, I didn't really like that movie. There's a lot of you like, hey, why are you making fun of that movie? It's like, what? Why'd you say that? I like, it's one of my favorite movies. And a couple of you said, I'm going to meet you out in the parking lot when we get done today. Because, <laughs> like, okay, I'm sorry. Well, I'm not going to make fun of the, the notebook anymore. But um, it was written by a guy named Nicholas Sparks. I got a confession. Until a couple years ago, I thought Nicholas Sparks was a lady because of the content of the book. And I thought only a lady could write that. But apparently this guy's got a pretty amazing memory or amazing, amazing uh, fantasy life that he lives but uh, but Nicholas wrote this book and here's the sad part about this and here's a guy who when you read his books he's got 21 books most of them have been made into movies when you see what he has written here's what you think well it's all about chemistry it's all about finding the right person if anybody can find the right person it's got to be Nicholas Sparks he understands what it's all about in 2015 after 25 years of marriage and five kids he divorced his wife Catherine Think about that for a moment. Here's a person who writes books about finding the right person. Because that's what his books and the movies are all about. That chemistry piece. And yet, sadly, divorce has taken place in his life. We think great chemistry means great relationships. But it doesn't. Think about great chemistry in your life. Maybe you've had that with someone that you were dating. Maybe it's with someone you're dating now. When it comes to great chemistry, you're able to sit and have a conversation and talk for hours. And you're telling your friends, your buddies, man, you would not believe this relationship I have with this person. We can talk about anything. You can travel everywhere and you like a lot of the same things. You jump out of airplanes together and hold hands and smiles. You fall down to the earth at these crazy speeds. I mean, this is just this incredible relationship that you have with this individual, this connection that you have with them. And you know how to make out because let's just be honest, when it comes to chemistry, that's one of the biggest things. You know how to make out and you can take it even farther than that. But that's what we think about when it comes to chemistry. All these things seem to be, felt, to, to be coming together with this individual. And we're like, this is the perfect person. And then you go and you marry that individual you have great chemistry with. And at the beginning of the marriage, you know what happens? It's great. There's this incredible connection and bond and these conversations that are happening with you and this person. But do you know what happens with chemistry? Chemistry evaporates. It ends. It goes away. And here's what you see take place in many marriages where the chemistry has been the main focus. The chemistry leaves and you think to yourself, I'm not with, with the right person. But then you're at work or you're in your neighborhood or you're coaching a ball team you have this connection with this other individual and you start to talk to them, you start to spend time with them. 
you start to make out with them, become intimate with them, you're thinking, oh, this chemistry is so amazing. It's incredible. And so you go back to the person you're married to, like, hey, I'm done. And then you jump into this new relationship, and there's this new chemistry, and you marry that person, and guess what happens to the chemistry? It fades away, it goes away, and you go through the cycle again, again, and again. The divorce rate in America for first marriages is 50%. For second marriages, it's 67%. For third marriages, it's about 80%. Why? People are searching for one thing, incredible chemistry with someone else. But great chemistry does not mean you have a great relationship. And here's the problem with all this. If we're focused on just great chemistry, when it comes to something like dating, we'll always be lost. We'll never be happy. And we'll always be thinking something about our past because this statement is so important here for us to understand. Your present in dating will become your past. And your past will show up in your future. Just think about that for a moment. Some of us that are married here, we understand this because we've been that place. We've had that chemistry in the past with our relationships when it came to dating. And the things that we did and the things that we allowed ourselves to do within that relationship is showing up now in our marriage. We have to work through that. We're struggling through that. Because what happens right now in your present dating life is going to show up or become your past but then we'll show up in your future. And at that point in time, it's really hard to deal with that. And we continue to go through this cycle because we're all about great chemistry. The reality is that great chemistry does not equal a great relationship. Now think about TV shows for just a moment. What are some of the most popular shows that we watch? Something like The Bachelor, The Bachelorette. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you like one of those shows or watch it. But what are those shows all about? They're all about chemistry, aren't they? It's all about chemistry. Let's put a bunch of people together with this one person, and let's just see if the chemistry flows. And so after 10 or 12 weeks, they're like, hey, we got great chemistry with this particular person. And they get together and supposed to get married, and I don't think they ever do. But anyway, um, there's this connection there. It's all about chemistry. That sells on TV. Do you know what doesn't sell on TV? Happy marriages, healthy marriages. And you know why? Healthy marriages are boring. Okay? Right? Healthy marriages are so Boring. And who wants to watch a boring, healthy, happy marriage on TV? Nobody. Here's the deal. If you're in a healthy marriage, more than likely when you sit down to have dinner at night, you actually talk. You talk about life. You talk about what you experienced at work. You know, you tell your spouse, you know, you know that spreadsheet I've been working on for about three weeks, man. It has been really tough, but I finally figured out everything, and now it's working perfectly. Another person's like, oh, that is so great. I know you put so much time and effort into that. And other people would hear, like, what the heck is going on here? This is boring. But you're like, nah, we like talking about spreadsheets in our house at dinner time. <laughs> or maybe you're, if you've got kids, you're talking about something the kids did that day and some terrible, ugly picture they made that you're like, hey, that's the greatest picture ever. You're like, it's really kind of ugly, but, but it's your kids. And so you just say, this is great, kids. Thank you for doing that. Or maybe you go out for a walk with your spouse, and your spouse is like, hey, you trying to get healthy? Like, no, I just want to spend time with you. And you've been married 30, 40 years, and you're walking through your neighborhood. You know what you're doing? You're holding the other person's hand. Everybody else is like, that's gross and nasty. You're like, no, we actually love each other. We care about each other. We're talking. If you're happily married, you don't Netflix and chill anymore, do you? You actually watch Netflix. You talk about what you just watched. 
you discuss a little bit, and then you go to bed, you give each other a kiss, and you go to sleep. That's what happens these days. There's no such thing as Netflixing and chill within healthy marriages. See, healthy marriages are all about great relationships with each other and a strong foundation that's in place. And they're built on one thing that chemistry doesn't build on. They're built on love. Healthy marriages, strong, great relationships are built on love. They're not built on chemistry. Chemistry's fleeting. It comes, it goes. And for many people, we go through this cycle over and over and over again. We never find happiness because we think it's all about chemistry. But it's not. It's not. It's about that one word. It's about love. Now, if you're in the dating world, I think there's a question that you have to ask yourself. Are you who the person you are looking for is looking for? Are you who the person you're looking for is looking for? Here's the way it usually works in dating. We ask the question, who are you? Who are you? Tell me about you. And so many times we neglect looking at ourselves and really answering that question and defining ourselves, who am I? It's so important that we understand who we are. And for some of us, if we're in the dating world, we may have to take a break and say, hey, i, I got to stop for a little bit because I need to figure out who I am before this can continue on. Are you becoming the person that you're looking for is looking for? Who are you becoming? I want to look at a passage this morning that you're probably all familiar with. And um, the truth is, if you look in Scripture and you were to do a search for dating, you will find nothing about dating. There's not a passage where Jesus is like, hey, verily, verily, I tell, say unto you, if you're dating, then blah, blah, blah. It's not in there anywhere. And so you have to look at it a little bit differently. You have to, you have to begin to look at this as, um, how can I change who I am inside? What can I do as a Christ follower to become who God has created me to be for the relationships that I have in my life? And so we're going to look at a passage that you're probably very, very familiar with. It comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, we'll have it up here on the screens beside me. But here's what it says. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, you've probably heard that read at a wedding before. And maybe, like mine, it was read in your wedding. And you think that the writer of this must have been sitting around one day and just thinking about marriages and thinking about relationships, love relationships, like, oh, I just got this beautiful passage I just need to put out there. And he, he starts writing it. Now, that's not the case here. Now, let me give you a little background about 1 Corinthians. Uh, Paul is the writer of 1 Corinthians, and Paul is a church planner. He goes through all these different towns and cities throughout the Middle East and some parts of Europe, and he meets people. He spends time with them. He begins to tell them about Jesus. And then he begins to build these churches of these people that he's connected with. And then after about two or three years, after he set them up, he's like, hey, I'm out. I'm going somewhere else to go plant another church. And these people were left to their own devices to lead and begin and, and to build this church. Some of these churches, some crazy things took place. And here in 1 Corinthians, one of the churches he started in a place called Corinth, some crazy stuff was happening. And so he'd hear back from people who had visited that church or were part of that church, and he would write a letter back to them like, hey, I've heard some stuff going on there. Let me kind of tell you how you need to deal with this. 
Or he would say, hey, some great things are happening here. Let me give you some encouraging words. Here in 1 Corinthians, um, it, if you want to talk about something that would sell, the story of this church in 1 Corinthians would sell. Go back and read it. I mean, it's a, it's a jacked up church. You think you may have been a part of a jacked up church growing up. This is a jacked up church, okay? And in the midst of this, Paul says, you know what we got to focus on? we got to focus on love. Now, he's not talking about marriage here. He's not talking about dating here. He's talking about relationships within the Christian community. He said, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. This is what love truly looks like. I think if we take this, it fits in our dating world. It fits in our marriages. But my concern is that we don't truly love the way that Paul talks about here. Are we becoming this kind of person in our relationships? I actually want to take a look at these. There's 15 of these. I'm not spending five minutes per each one, just so you know. But I want to, I want to hit these quickly because I think they're so powerful and I think we forget about them. We've never really read them and thought about them. So let's look at this. Here's what's also interesting. He breaks this into three different parts. I don't know if you've noticed that before, but there's three different parts to what he says here. The first is this. He says this is what love is. He says love is patient. Love is kind. He starts positively. You notice that? This is a positive response from Paul. He says love is patient, which means love is long term. It's long term. What is chemistry? Chemistry comes and goes. But he says this isn't about chemistry. This is about love, real love. And love is long term. There's no timetable to this kind of love. And he says, this kind of love, it creates space in your relationship. It creates time and margin in the, your relationship for this other person and the needs that they have in their life. It's not pushy. It doesn't pressure them. Maybe the best way to put it is love waits. And maybe you're the type of person, if you're married, you know, you're the type that says, hey, you know, we got to be somewhere at 6. And your spouse is like, hey, I'm still getting ready at 6.15. And you're like, wow, you know, we got to go, we got to go. But, but if love is patient... You're okay with that. It hurts. It's painful. But you also understand this is what love is. And so you always tell them, hey, like 30 minutes earlier. We really were supposed to go there at 530 and you're actually supposed to leave at 6. But that's okay. Just some advice there. But love is patient. Love waits. Paul said that's what love looks like. Then he says love is kind, which means it's considerate of the other person's needs. But you're always putting them first. Uh, sometimes in relationships, we ask the question, how are you feeling? But we just mean in that moment. If love is kind, we ask that question, how are you feeling at all times? Always, how are you feeling? What's going on? It's always thinking about that other person, how you're treating that person. Probably a great way to put it is, when love is kind, we hold on to the things that harm. Now, how many times have you spouted out something you shouldn't have said to the person you're with, to your spouse, to someone you're dating? It's easy to do that, especially when you've known this person for a while. But love doesn't harm. Love gives healing when it's kind. Are you healing that other person? Love is patient. Love is kind. But then he goes to some negatives. Here's what Paul says. Love is not. He says love does not envy. Love doesn't feel threatened. You know people and you've seen relationships where the other person in that relationship feels threatened because of the job title, the income, or the person that they're dating, or the person they're married to. You've seen that. Maybe you've experienced that. When it comes to love not envying, it means you don't feel threatened by that. In fact, 
when they say, hey, I got a job promotion and I'm making X amount more money than you are, you're like, that's great. That's wonderful. We can retire early. We can spend more time together. I mean, you, you use this as a moment to build that individual up because love does not envy. It doesn't feel threatened by the other person. Then he says, love does not boast. The Greek word there is brag. Love does not brag. And when we brag, we show that we have insecurities. Uh, maybe you know somebody like this. Um, I call them one-uppers. I had a buddy in college, one of my best friends, and every time you tell a story, he's like, oh, that's great, but let me tell you my story. And finally, we just started making fun of him all the time. He's like, oh, maybe I do do this, and he stopped doing it, which was great. I don't recommend that that's what you do within your relationship. But anyway, um, those people that, that are always bragging about who they are, like, oh, that's what you, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I know that's hard, but when you're in a relationship, it's so important that you listen to what the other individual is saying and not brag about who you are. Love, when it doesn't brag, when it doesn't boast, it's not big-headed, but it's big-hearted. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Some of you grew up in very dysfunctional homes. And in those homes, the battles that took place with the mom and dad, your mom and dad, you know what? Nobody was ever wrong, right? It was always mom and dad were right. That was all about pride. And you struggle with that today in your own relationships because of what happened within that home. Proverbs 16, 18 says pride comes before destruction. And maybe you saw because of that pride the destruction within that marriage. See, love is not proud. It's not arrogant. It's not grasping for power in the relationship. It doesn't disrespect the other person. Love is not proud. Then it says, love does not dishonor others. Um, if you're in the dating world right now, can I say, this is one you need to think about and focus on. Um, because this is one that is, can create regrets. It can create regrets. And you should never create regrets in the relationships that you have. Many of us that are married, we could tell you about our lives in the dating world before we got married, and we have regrets, and some of us carry a lot of regret with us, and where does that go? It doesn't go away. Like I said earlier, that past becomes your present, it becomes your future, and you're dealing with that within the marriage that you have. And so when it comes to love, not dishonoring others, is that love full of courtesy and politeness and decency? Sometimes we need to think about that in our relationships because we think because of chemistry, everything's great and we can connect with this person. We're doing, giving up who we are to this individual because of who we, we want this person to be. We want them to be the right person. But in the end, we create regrets and we dishonor that individual. Love does not dishonor others. Then he says love is not self-seeking. It's not possessive. It's not demanding. It's not dominating. He says love is not easily angered. There's one we probably need to come back to quite a bit. It's not touchy. Somebody doesn't get under our skin easily. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Uh, Paul here talks about this word record, and it's actually a word bookkeeping. He said there's no ledger. So every time you do something that hurts the other person, they're not writing it down like, hey, let me write this thing down. Now, you've done some really great things in our relationship, but i got a list over here of accounts you need to settle with me, okay? No, Paul says that book, that ledger, burnt, thrown away. You don't even know what's, what's on it anymore. It says love keeps no record of wrongs. And then he says love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. 
You don't find joy in someone else's hurt and someone else's pain, but you're looking for the best in others. I find it interesting he throws all those right in the middle because then he comes back and says love always. Love always protects. That Greek word is covering, it's roof. It protects that person. It protects their reputation. Um, Have you ever watched a spouse or someone in a dating relationship humiliate the other person in front of a group of people? It is not fun. And you know there's dysfunction within that relationship. It tears down that other individual. That's not what love does. Love always protects. It always trusts. It gives that person the benefit of the doubt. It always hopes. It says failure is not final. And there's always this positive um, outlook on that relationship. There's something better always ahead. And then lastly, he says, love always perseveres. You notice that word always, it's not sometimes, every once in a while when you feel like it, it's always. This is what love is. Love always perseveres. That persevere word is actually a, a military term that Paul uses here. And it means you hold your position at all costs. Probably a, a good word picture of this would be fighting a battle and the enemy is surrounding you and coming. And they're coming after you. Your comrades are being taken out and killed around you. And yet your commander says, stand firm. Don't lose your footing. Keep fighting. When love perseveres, that's what love does. It fights till the end. No matter if there's rejection there, hurt or pain, love continues to persevere. And it never, ever gives up. Paul says, you want to know what love is towards someone? You want to know what a a healthy relationship looks like? It looks like love. And this is what love looks like. And here's what's interesting, what Paul writes here. Paul... Paul says that this isn't a feeling. Love's not a feeling. Love is an action. In fact, it's a lot of actions. And if you're in the dating world, is this who you are becoming? Can you become this person? Can you love in this way? If you're married, if you're married, are you loving your spouse? Just like Paul talks about here in this chapter and in these words. Great chemistry doesn't mean you have a great relationship. Great chemistry comes and goes, but a relationship lasts forever if, if there's love. Paul says those last three words, love never fails. And if we love that way in our relationships, then love will never, ever fail. At the end of chapter 13, he writes these words, when I was a child... I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. When we're kids, we act like kids, we do things like kids, we talk like kids, we react and respond like kids. But Paul says, hey, I got to get rid of that so I can truly love. And maybe for us, especially those in the dating world, maybe we've got to say, hey, you know what I need to do? I've got to get rid of those childish things that I'm doing. And I need to learn to love like this. I need to become this person in my dating relationships. I need to become this person in my marriage and get rid of those childish things around me. Think about uh, fairy tales for a moment. In a fairy tale, you have 
you have usually this terrible stepmom and these terrible step siblings, and they you know, imprison you in this big old cave or up in this prison thing, up in this big old tower, and you're trying to get out, and you finally get out, and who do you meet? Well, this, this beautiful princess ends up meeting this beefcake prince, and they come together at the very end. So you know what that's all about? Chemistry. What does it say at the end of every single fairy tale? And they lived. How do we know? We don't know. But I can tell you this. My guess is those relationships are built on one thing. They're built on chemistry. They're not built on love. So my guess is they just go through this cycle. And maybe that's why we have so many fairy tales. It's just the same people over and over and over again. Um, but there's a cycle that keeps happening. The chemistry is just all they're living for. And there's really not any love. And Paul says love like this. And if you do this, love will never, ever fail you. What are some next steps we can take from what we talked about? Because relationships take time. They take effort. They take work. Let me give you a couple of next steps. First one is this. If you're in the dating world, maybe today is the day you begin to assess your dating life. You haven't done that before. You're just like, hey, I'm just going from this relationship to this relationship, or I think this is the right person. I'm not really sure. Maybe today you say, I need to take a break. I need to stop. And maybe you even say, I I'm out of this relationship for a period of time. I need to work on this. Is this right? Who am I? And so maybe you assess your dating life today. Those of you that are married in here, maybe today's the day you assess your marriage. Go and make a checklist of all these love statements and say, is this my marriage? Am I doing this in my marriage? Here's my guess. We're not. Okay? We're missing quite a few. And maybe there's a few things. you got to go back to your spouse today and say, you know what? I struggle with anger. I struggle with dishonoring you. I need to work on that. Let's work on this together. And I believe God can do crazy things if we do that. Assess your marriage. Then if you're in the dating world again, invite God into that relationship. Maybe you haven't done that. We didn't talk about the importance of that today, but... Invite God into your relationship. And maybe you're married and you haven't invited God into your relationship. Invite God into the relationships that you have. And then lastly, live out love. I don't care what kind of relationship you have. Whether it's dating, whether it's your marriage, whether it's family, whether it's people at work. What would happen if you and I loved the people around us the way that Paul describes here? My guess is this world would be a different place. The place you work would be a different place. Your home would be a different place. Your family that's jacked up would be different. Everything would be different. Why? Because we actually love the way God intended for us to love. Love never, ever fails. Here's what I find interesting about what Paul says here. And it's something that we celebrate every single week. Paul uses the word agape when he talks about love. Every time you see that word love, it's the word agape. It's a sacrificial love. And here we are every single Sunday. We come to this place and we take communion as a church. And when we do that, do you know what kind of love God is showing us? God shows us his agape love. He showed it to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And here you and I are today. And we get to celebrate that again. Is there any better example for us than this kind of sacrificial love? God said, you're worth it. You're worth it. 
I love you so much that I'm giving my son to you. He sacrificed everything he had for you and for me. And in the relationships that you and I have, are we willing to do just that? Are we willing to have sacrificial love for others? Today, as the band plays, as we sing together, as we take communion, I want you to think about that. I want you to connect with that in your life. Where are you in your relationships? And if you're in the dating world, I know it's tough. I know it's hard. Maybe you've got your checklist going. I don't know what it is, but I, I tell you, go back. Learn to love like this. Become that person. Become the person you're looking for is looking for. And if you're married, maybe there's some things today that can begin to change your marriage in a healthy way because you come back to love. But in everything, we're always reminded of God's perfect love for us and what we share in today. The band's going to lead us in a song, and as they do, as you're singing, as you feel led, you can come to the front, you can go to the back, you can grab a piece of bread, you can grab the juice. Then I'm going to ask you to go back to your seats and just remain standing. We're going to worship together, we're going to sing together, and then we'll take communion together as a family, as a church community. Maybe today you just need to say, I, I, don't, I, I can't even do this. I, I've got to work on some relationships in my life. And so we're going to have our prayer teams going to be up here today. You can just come up and you can pray with them. We have Jim over here on this side, Yana uh, over here on this side. Um, and they're going to be up here. Just come up and pray with them. Grab communion after that. They're going to be up here the rest of the morning. Maybe you just need prayer. Whatever it is, let's take this communion together today. And remember that love never fails. Would you stand and let's sing.